Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. We're glad that you're here joining us. We're glad for you guys that are online joining us this morning. Uh, thanks for being here. In case you're new or just been visiting with us a little bit, especially new online, uh, my name's Andy Malcolm. I'm the small groups pastor here. I've uh, been here since the church began about 15, 16 years ago, but just have been on staff for the last couple years. And just so you know, I have a wife, Julia, two teenage girls at home, and they'll be here second service as well. And uh, uh, we're glad to be worshiping with you all today. Well, if you are a light, late night person and you enjoy your late night talk shows, uh, for decades they have spent uh, the majority of their time dealing with the headlines of the day and giving their little take on them. And one of them made a little bit of his name famous a little bit because he would talk about uh, headlines that didn't quite come out the way that they meant to in the newspapers. And I got a few of those for you that we're going to look at today as we talk about some headlines. Here's the first one. Police arrest everyone on February 22nd. That's a, that's a rough day right there. Next one. Safety meeting ends in accident. Hopefully not an Eastman headline. What about the next one? Muddy Creek problem. It's too muddy. Maybe that's out at the racetrack. I don't know. Uh, state population to double by 2040. Babies to blame. Who would have thought? And then finally, Thursday's canceled. Now, that's a rough week right there when they just cancel out a whole day. Well, uh, headlines, uh, it's, it's part of our life now. And uh, especially ones like this. We just feel like just all this information and stuff and, and the what ifs and all kinds of things going on, especially when it comes to COVID, uh, we're dealing with just every day. What are we going to hear? What's going to happen today at my work? What's going to happen for my kids' school? What's going to happen in my life? How is this going to affect me, not affect me? What, what's going on this week? We're dealing with all these headlines um, every day. And it's something that we probably think about when we first wake up and right before we go to bed as well. And so I wonder this morning... What are the headlines in your mind right now? What are the little phrases? What's the little pieces of information? What's the little worries or, or anxious thoughts that you have? What's the headline that's scrolling across your mind this morning? I bet there's something there. Well, we're going to take a look at uh, what's going on in our mind because there's a battle happening. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going, to, we're going to go back to 1 Samuel and we're going to look at how two people handled the same circumstance. And then we're going to take a New Testament verse and kind of lay that New Testament verse on top of that and wrap that up to help us in our own battle. Okay, that's what we're going to do this morning. So turn to 1 Samuel, if you would, please. And it, you can find this on your app as well. Uh, the notes and things for today that we're going to be going through. And we're going to begin in 1 Samuel. And let me give you a little bit of a background 
uh, before we get to the specific chapter and verse that we're going to look at. So you kind of know the context of what's going on here. So if you remember the, a little bit of your Old Testament, the Israelites were in captivity for about 400 years in Egypt. They're set free. They wander in the desert for about 40 years before they finally enter the promised land and take over that territory. And then there's about another three to 400 years where they're kind of just managing that territory. And there's a series of judges that are put in place. Some good, some, a lot of them not so good. And for that three to 400 year period, there's kind of a slow and steady decline of the moral values and integrity of the Israelite people during that time. In fact, some of the most gruesome graphic things happen in the last couple of chapters of Judges that are found in the whole Bible. And the last verse of Judges says this, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's the state of the culture of Israel there at the end of the book of Judges. And then there's a little bit of hope as 1 Samuel begins because a boy is born to a devoted godly mom named Hannah. And she dedicates him to the Lord. And he becomes kind of a judge and prophet and priest all in one. And um, he is righteous before the Lord. And, but the people are not. They're still struggling. In fact, the, the people finally are like, you know what? This whole theocracy thing with God in charge, it's not really working out the way we hoped it would. I tell you what, let's, I, want to, I want us to be like our neighbors. Let's be like our neighbors and let's get us a king. And so as Samuel hears that and as the Lord hears that, the Lord tells Samuel, all right, I heard their cries. I got a king for them. They want a king, I'll give them a king. And God tells Samuel to anoint a man named Saul as the first king of Israel. And as Samuel does that, Samuel gives him a few directions to help him get started in his reign. And one of those directions is this. I want you to go to Gilgal, and I want you to wait there for me seven days, and then I'll tell you what you should do next. Go to Gilgal, wait for me for seven days, and then I'll tell you what to do next. So what does Saul do? He goes to Gilgal. He takes care of a few things that Saul, Samuel had mentioned to him. And seven days goes by. And Samuel, the prophet, priest, judge, is nowhere to be seen. So Saul decides to take matters into his own hands. And he's like, well, the, the representative of God is not here, so I'll take over and I'll, I'll go and offer some sacrifices and make an offering for Samuel, since he's not here. He said he was going to do it, but he hasn't shown up yet, so I'll just take care of that. Well, guess what happens as soon as Saul offers that sacrifice? Samuel walks up. So if you'll turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 6, we're going to look at this first main verse today. In 1 Samuel, or excuse me, 13, 11, I'm sorry, Chapter 13, verse 11. Saul has just offered up the offering, and Samuel comes up and says, What have you done? And Saul says, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Now I want you to just imagine the tone of Saul saying these voices or verses. 
Think about his voice. Think about, can't you just imagine him almost like a little eight-year-old that's got caught doing something they weren't supposed to do? And he's kind of looking down at the ground. His hands are kind of in his pockets. He's shuffling his feet. He's like, well, you know, I saw the men were scattering and, 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 and you didn't come at the set time like you said you would. And the, the Philistines are assembling. Can't you see him just struggling there in that moment like a little kid? The tone of those v- v- verses says a lot. He's making excuses. So let's take a look at these, these verses in particular. It says the, the, the three things that Saul says here in this one verse. The first one, he says the people were scattering. He's confused. He, he, he does what's going on around him, the circumstances around him, that people are leading, leaving him. And he's confused. He doesn't know how to handle it. He doesn't know why are they leaving me? What's going on? The second one, you didn't come in the appointed days. There's doubt there. There's doubt in God. There's doubt in Samuel, the prophet. He doesn't know what's happening around him. The last part, the Philistines are assembling. There's fear. He's scared. The, their arch enemy, the Philistines, have gathered for battle. With the Philistines over here and the Israelites over here, and he sees the Philistines are assembling. They're getting ready, and there's fear there. He's scared about what he sees before him. You know, and those three words remind me a lot of what's happening in our culture right now. Maybe there's, those three words are something that you are experiencing, that you folks at home and your families are experiencing these days. There's a lot of confusion. We're scattered in here in this auditorium. We're scattered away because of social distancing. We can't be around our friends, our family like we're used to. It's easy to feel alone, feel isolated, feel disconnected from life and from the people we care about the most. There's a lot of doubt that we're wrestling with, if we're all honest. How long is this going to last? Somebody just asked me that in the hallway. What did I think? How long is this going to last? When does my life get back to normal? What do I do with my kids? Do they go to school? Do they not go to school? Who can they play with? Who can't they play with? Do I go to church or not? Do they go to youth group or not? What about my job? What's going to happen with my career? Am I going to have to move? What about paying the bills? There's a lot of doubt in our culture right now. And there's fear. There's fear over the political season that we're in. There's fear over what happens November 3rd from both sides of the political aisle. Which side is going to win? There's fear about our culture and the moral breakdown that we see in our society and the breakdown of values. We're scared because some of us think about our freedoms. My rights, my life, my list of things I have to do this week to get accomplished, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do them. And there's very real threats to our religious freedom out there. Our religious freedom in general and to Christianity specifically in certain places in our country. In the cultural circumstances we find ourselves in, it's easy for fear and doubt and confusion or all three to reign just as they did for Saul. They reigned over Saul's mind in that circumstance that he found themselves in. But we're going to look at another verse. 
We're going to look at another person. Because there are other people around there with the Philistines assembling and a battle getting ready to ensue. Saul had his son there, Jonathan. Jonathan's a little bit different character. And you, if you flip forward a few verses, look at 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6. Because Jonathan has a different take on these verses. Look, let's look at this together. 1 Samuel 14, 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, he says three things as well. Saul said three things. Jonathan th said three things. Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will work on our behalf. For the Lord is not restrained from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan says three things as well. Same circumstances, same battle, same situation. And look at the tone of his words. Put that, put that verse back up there. Look at the tone of his words here. Can't, can't, can't you just see him perched on a rock? And he's kind of looking over. He's kind of leaning forward a little bit. He's on his toes. He's a man of action. And he sees the Philistines scattered out there. And he's thinking, we can do something about this. We can do something. He's ready to go. The tone of those three statements is completely different from Saul's tone. He's like, he's like a second-string quarterback. You know, you see him on the sideline, they're right by the coach with the headset on, they got their headset on, and he's just itching. Come on, coach, put me in. Put me in the game. Jonathan's the same way. John says, come on, come on, let's go. We can take these folks. Let's look at his statement, those three statements, one at a time as well. First of all, he says, let's cross over. There's boldness there in his words. He, he, he's going to do something. He's not going to lay back. He's not hiding. He's not making excuses. He makes a plan and even calls him a name <laughs> while he's doing it. The, those uncircumcised. And the second one, perhaps the Lord will work for us. It's trust there. He's not definite. He's not sure. He's not completely 100% confident. He says perhaps. But there's a trust in the middle of those words. Not in himself. Not, he's not depending on his own ability. He sees God in the middle of these circumstances. He sees the hope of God in the middle of this situation. He believes God's in there. And the second one, he says, the Lord's not restrained to say by many or by few. There's courage there. Courage not based on himself. The courage that he experienced in that moment came from God's character and who he knew God to be. Because there, here in this verse, it says, the Lord is not restrained to save. That speaks to who God is. God loves to get involved in our lives and to, to, to do something grand, to save people from the circumstance at times to something maybe better. There's courage there. You know, Jonathan met the same circumstances again, the same battle as Saul with a completely different mindset. So how are we going to do the same 
for the rest of 2020? How are we going to do the same for the fall of 2020 and maybe even into 2021? What's our mindset going to be like? How do we get from Saul's thoughts to Jonathan's thoughts? Well, this is where I want to take that a New Testament verse and just place it over the top because I think it explains how we can do that. And it maybe explains a little bit about what Jonathan was experiencing there. So if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, this is a, a, a message, a book of the Bible that Paul wrote to Timothy. Okay, he wrote him two books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And Timothy was his protege, all right? And Paul left Timothy in charge of some churches. Thessalonica at first, Ephesus a little bit later. And Timothy was a younger man. And he was dealing with a lot of people older, more experienced than him. Maybe more spiritual than he was. And Timothy was left in charge. And Paul knew some, a little bit of his doubts and fears that he was experiencing. And so Paul says this to him. At the beginning, near the beginning, the only seven verses into this book, for this, he says, hey, Timothy, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind. Okay, I'm going to, that's one translation there, self-discipline. I'm going to use the, the term sound mind for, for our purposes today, all right? For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, I'm going to change that word up there, timid. Nelson, can you make that change for the next service to put the fear in there? For God did not give us a spirit of fear. What is fear for? If God didn't give us to us, what's fear for? Here's what a friend of mine said about a month ago, and I wrote it down. He said, fear was not meant to master you. It was meant to inform you. Fear isn't meant to control you, be your master, be your idol. Fear was meant to inform you of something, to, to give you an idea of what to do, maybe something you need to pray about, maybe something, if you're feeling a little bit of fear about something, maybe it's something that you need to get some counsel from other people on or figure out what's making you feel that way. All right? Now, we have a, 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 new, a new fear in our home right now. We're, we're dealing with some fear in our own house. And I'm going to put a picture up now of, of what our new fear is about. This is Tico. He just became the fifth member of our family uh, about six days ago. All right. Now, you know what our fear is? He looks really big on this screen. <laughs> but he's actually about this big. And he stays at our heel all the time and just follows us around, especially like if all four of us are in the kitchen and it's food stuff going on and we're getting ready to leave and take one kid one way and another kid another way. He's just right at our heels and he's quiet. So our fear is we're going to step on him. <laughs> we're just going to step back and oh, get a paw or whatever. And But what's that fear for in that moment? Is it meant to, to scare us? And to make a decision, well, I guess, I guess we can't go in the kitchen anymore. I guess we can't fix food anymore. No, that fear is meant to inform us. It's meant to say, hey, be careful. Watch out. Watch your step. But before you take a step back, turn around and look behind you. Fear is meant to inform us. All right? And I think this is what Paul is saying to Timothy in these verses. So uh, let's take a look at this first and compare what Jonathan said 
in 1 Samuel 14 with what Paul said to Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. First of all, Jonathan said, let us cross over. That's a sound mind. Jonathan has a sound mind. He's making a plan. He's making an informed decision. He's being careful, checking the circumstances. He's making a plan to do something. And then, Jonathan says, perhaps the Lord will work for us. That's about power. Not his own power. It's about God's power in that moment. He's depending not on his own strength, but on God. And then Jonathan says, the Lord is not restrained to save. Saving is an act of love. The Lord loves to save us because that's his character. He loves the people that he has made in his image. And he loves to be involved in their lives and wants to save them. He wants to come through for us. So I think Jonathan, not knowing, of course, what Paul was going to write uh, a thousand years later, He's got the same attitude, though. Jonathan has this spirit of power and of love and a sound mind that he's dealing with in his own life that helps helping him to handle that situation. For me personally, this second Timothy verse, I, this is my own opinion. I think it's in the top 10 verses of the whole Bible. You got John 3.16. You got Matthew 28. 18 through 20. You got Romans 3.23, 6.23, and 10.9, the Romans road. John 15.5, Matthew 4.19. You got all these words, but I think this one ranks up there. I've prayed this prayer multiple, almost every day for over 20 years. Prayed over myself. I prayed over my family. I prayed over this church. I've prayed it over you before. Because we're fighting battles of fear and doubt, confusion, and circumstances every day. And we need a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind that doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside us. And God puts His Spirit on us and in us so that we can have a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind as well to deal with whatever life throws at us. And we need it because as followers of Jesus... We're going to face these trials. We're going to face these circumstances. We're going to face these battles. The cool thing about Jonathan is, is what he did in chapter 14 wasn't just a one-off deal. He did it over and over again. Just a few chapters later, you look in 1 Samuel 18, if you, if you got time later, and uh, the kingdom has been taken away from Saul. And God has given the kingdom now to a new king, David. Well, guess who, was, guess who normally in those days got the kingdom when, when the father didn't work out right? Guess who usually got it? The son. Jonathan should have been next in line. But Jonathan finds out that David is going to be the new king. And what does Jonathan do? In many cases, a battle would have begun with Jonathan's friends versus David and his buddies. But Jonathan goes up to David and sees David and takes off his robe and hands it to them. T takes off his armor, hands it to him. Takes off his sword, hands it to him. And humbly kneels down before him and, and, and says, David, you're my king as well. Jonathan was the same man in all these different circumstances. 
How can we do the same thing? The reason Jonathan was able to do that, I believe, is because he saw God in the middle of those circumstances. He saw that God was not working in his dad's life anymore, had left him, and was now working in David's life. And that's why Jonathan acted the way he did. He could see God in the circumstances. Now, this isn't part of your notes if you're looking on the app or anything, but I, maybe, this may be the most important thing I say today. Can you see God in your circumstances? Where you're at right now, can you see God in the midst of them? Because I think the mistake we, made, we make is that we too often spend time trying to work through our circumstances instead of working on our relationship with God. And if we spent as much time working on a relationship with God, we would be able to see God in those circumstances and we wouldn't worry about Him as much anymore. Does that make sense? So here's an application, a couple application questions for the end of part one of our message this morning. Here's the first thing I'd like you to consider as you leave today. What hurdle is in your thoughts about your past or your current circumstances that you need to cross over. Jonathan said, let us cross over. What's something that you need to cross over? Number two, where do you need to trust in God's power instead of your own effort? Where in your life do you need to trust more in God's power instead of your own effort? And question number three, to take with you and consider, do you think God loves you? Now, that may, you may be thinking, well, why, why did you put that there? Because I don't think you can answer the first and second question accurately unless you answer the third one accurately. Does that make sense? If you know God loves you, He wants to save you, that's part of His character, then it'll help you answer question one and question two. So as we end part one, here's your theme Statement for part one. The battle begins in the mind. Saul was losing it in his mind. Jonathan won it in his mind. The battle begins in the mind. And so as I begin part two, I'm going to go ahead and give you the theme statement for part two. All right, and here it is. The battle begins in the mind, but the battle is won in community. So what I'm going to do in the second part of our message today is try to make a case for the importance of community and the importance of relationships and why, especially in the season and circumstances we find ourselves in, community is even more important now than it was before all this COVID stuff hit us. So let me make a case for this from science to start us off, all right? There's a little study called Anatomy of the Soul, and here's a quote from that. Says so science shows that when a person is honest and relates in conversation with affirming, interested listeners, the person's brain actually goes through a reconfiguration process where it is healed and made stronger. The brain of the person listening is equally affected. We need each other. Science says that we change, we actually get stronger as we're around other people in good, healthy relationships good conversational relationships as well. Secondly, 
There's a study called Hardwired to Connect. This is a secular study. This is not religious people or people of faith or pastors trying to tell us stuff. This is secular research. It says these few things. First of all, humans are chemically predisposed to form close relationships. It's the way we're made. Now, we know that's because God made us that way. Well, they're just trying to figure out by looking at the chemistry that we need close relationships. Secondly, teens and younger adults particularly need healthy, nurturing, and close human contact. Thirdly, humans are biologically primed to seek moral and spiritual fulfillment. A nurturing community is a central foundation of this. Lastly, nurturing relationships significantly improve emotional and physical health. You know, as, as we're sitting here, we, we know all these things. But it's just a reminder that even in research that comes out from people that are not of faith, the same principles come out. We need community. We need each other. Here's what a pastor, Jim Putman, says. He says, Many Christians are committed to Christ, understand much of the doctrine in the Word of God, want to be moral, and might even share their faith with others, but won't experience all God has for them unless they are intentionally in relationship with other Christians. Now, I know some of you made me think, all I need is the Bible, and all I need is my Jesus, and I can get through life. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think it's actually true. Because God meant for us to be in community and relationship with other people, because sometimes, because we're, we're fallible, and we have a sin nature that we still do battle with, we're going to look at that Bible and look at Jesus sometimes in the wrong way. Unless we have other people around us to hold us in check and to hold us accountable and to say, you know what, you're off base there with that. That's not exactly what that scripture says. We're going to end up veering way off the road that God has for us. We need scripture. We need Jesus. But we need other people to help us to sort through all that and what that means and what that looks like in our lives. We can't do that from home by ourselves. We have to do that with other people. I wonder if that's why the church has slipped in America over the last few decades and lacks the influence it, one, it once had. Because we're all trying to do this church thing, this Jesus thing on our own, instead of doing it in deep, authentic community with other believers, where we're sharpening one another and making each other stronger. Here's four things that get stronger when we're in community. First thing, community makes our relationship with God stronger. The entire Bible is about relationship and community. It's a love story written from how, about how Jesus wanted to redeem for himself a people that he called his bride of Christ that we're going to have a marriage supper with one day. It's all about community. The bottom line of spiritual maturity, the bottom line of you being more like Jesus should result in love. And you can't love without other people. You, you can't just love within yourself. Yet there has to be other people with you to experience that love for and with to show that love. It's interesting. If you look at, at those two verses, Saul and Jonathan, if we go back to them, Saul acted alone. Saul figured out all that, what he was going to do, those three statements he made, and, and going in and offering that. There's no evidence that he spoke with others. But if you remember the beginning of what Jonathan said, 
in 14.6, he was speaking to his armor bearer. And what wasn't on there was the armor bearer, another verse or two down says, I'm right here with you. I got your back. I think you're on the right track. Let's do this thing. He spoke with others. Here's the other example why community makes our relationship with God stronger. Uh, Jesus asked 12 people to be around him for three and a half years. Jesus did not handle his life on earth by himself. He asked 12 people to come around him and spend three and a half years with him to continue to grow and mold and shape them to make their relationship with God stronger. Community, second thing, community makes the church, the body of Christ, stronger. If you've been through discovery with us, you've heard me say this, and so I'm going to repeat this for, for some of you. Uh, there's two main reasons, some research suggests, two main reasons that people leave the church. They stop attending church. Number one is when something bad happened, no one was there to care for them. Something went wrong, nobody was there to care. And then the other reason is uh, they didn't feel connected to anyone. That's why people drop out of church. Change church maybe, but drop out altogether because they didn't feel connected to anybody. Community solves both those problems. Secondly, why, another reason why community makes the church stronger. Here's what uh, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.10. I love this. I looked at this verse a different way this week. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. People, you and I, are the means of delivering God's grace to others. That's why we need community. If we try to handle circumstances of life, as crazy as it is right now, alone, other people are going to be hurt because you're not with them. Other people need, it's not just that you need other people, other people need you because God designed you to give His grace to others. You are a grace deliverer if Jesus is in your heart. And we're meant to make the body of Christ grow stronger because of the grace God's put in us. We're to deliver that to other people. Thirdly, community makes our community better. <laughs> Community makes our community better. I heard about this research that was recently done uh, by Barna, and I think Harvard had something to do with it as well. And they did a little uh, research on what makes humans flourish. What makes human society and culture flourish? And they, they figured out it's five main things. Here's those five things. First of all, spiritual health. Need spirit, the community needs spiritual health. Needs fiscal stability. So there's a financial piece to it. A career piece. Wellness, which is like mental and physical well-being. And the last one, relationships. All five of those things we need for human flourishing. What's interesting about all five of those things is you can find all five of those discussed in the book of Proverbs. They'll all, they'll all, they're all covered there. You can, you can, somebody that you know that's not a believer, a secular person, and they wonder if the Bible has anything to do with life. Does it really make a difference? Well, you can throw the rest of the Bible away. Just give them Proverbs. And watch what happens if their life. Tell them to obey what you see in Proverbs. Your life will change. Community makes our community better.
Another reason. Jesus has 12 people to be around him for three and a half years. And that led to a transformation in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And eventually it reached our country and transformed our country and is reaching the ends of the earth. Where Christianity tends to flow, there tends to be over time this increase in human flourishing in that area. Community makes our community better. Last thing, community makes our mission go farther. Community makes our mission go further. The biblical goal of every believer is to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. This is incredibly hard and difficult, and you can't do it alone. We need encouragement and coaching from each other to make disciples of Jesus who make other disciples of Jesus. And when Jesus asked those 12 to be around him for three and a half years, after Jesus was resurrected and then ascended into heaven, the early church exploded and began to spread quickly so that the Roman world was, was changed. It had influenced the Roman world within just a few decades. Community makes our mission go further. Now, back to our headlines where we began this morning. Currently, we're fretting or battling a cultural landscape that revolves around COVID, an election year, racism, concerns about the eroding of biblical values. And the church is going to have to adjust all this stuff. We can't cater to it. We can't hide from it. Like Saul did, we got to stand up for what's biblical, what's just, what's right, what's true, like Jonathan did. So what concerns me is that if we get to 2021 in the church, we're just like we were in 2019, there's something wrong. I don't think we're supposed to go back to normal. You and I are going to have to adjust the way that we do church. We're going to have to adjust the way we do relationships. We're going to have to adjust the way we do community. We're going to ask for a daily reminder of His Spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind to live out His commands and His desires for our church. We're all going to have to adjust. We can't stay home, stay to ourselves, stuck in fear and doubt and confusion. We can't do that and be the church that God's called us to be. So what does this look like for Grace Fellowship Church for us? Well, next week Joel's going to be speaking about the state of our church, kind of a state of the union address that he's going to be discussing. But for today, let me say that community is an important part of Grace Fellowship, always has been and always will be, whether there's a COVID or not. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to be training all of our ministry leaders, life group leaders, staff elders, on how we need to adjust and how we still need to keep community and do relationships. We just might need to do them a little bit differently. Our life groups are not going to stop. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep meeting. We're just going to do it differently in healthy ways with certain guidelines. We're going to follow Jesus with a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. So what can you do then? Well, uh, our life groups are going to kick off here in just a couple of weeks. And later on this week, next week, you're going to be able to go to our website. You're going to see what kind of life group offerings we're making. Um, 
There should be some, some stories and some videos from our life group leaders so you can get to know them a little bit. Usually, we have life group Sunday, which is officially next Sunday, and usually we have all our life group leaders out there, and you can meet and mingle and talk with them and sign up. We can't do that uh, this year. But you'll be able to go on our website. You'll be able to sign up on our website. You'll be able to sign up on our app. Um, and you're going to be able to see and meet all of our life group leaders online and get to know them a little bit there. And you can sign up for those you're interested in. You can talk to me, email me if you have questions about which one might be a best fit for you. But a couple of things that we're excited about this year for our large groups is, one, we, we have a group that's branching. We're excited about that. Uh, a group that we've talked about before but was, didn't exist at this time last year was our college life group. Uh, they're still going to meet throughout this year as well. And we have some new people signing up for that, people that just graduated high school. They're going to get involved in that group. And then we've just found out this week that we're going to have an official women's, our first ever women's life group. And somebody has decided they're going to, they would like to lead that. And they've been kind of training and working with us for a while. And they just felt like this is where the Lord was leading them to offer a, a female life group. We'd love to have a, a, a men's one as well, but we don't have anybody to lead that right now. So if God's prompting you, let me know. So, application for the second part of our sermon. Here's two things I'd like you to consider. First thing, if you're in a life group, what's your role going to be this year? What's your, if you're already in one, what's your role going to be? Are, are you going to be a, a sign-upper, but not an attender? Because we get that. People who sign up and they never show up. Are you going to be a tender, but only when it's convenient? And maybe once a month or so? Are you going to be a sign-upper and a tender and, and, and faithful? Are you going to be someone who kind of takes that next step and, and offers to help your life group leader to be the prayer person or to take care of snacks and drinks or to offer to help them lead or maybe to be a, a co-leader with them? What's your role going to be this year? Second thing, if you're not in community, what's stopping you and what is God asking you to do different this year? What could God be asking you to do a little bit different this year? Because Jesus needed 12 people around him. They needed each other. And I think we're just like those 12. A bunch of faults. <laughs> a bunch of confusion at times. Doubts and fears. And we need each other through that. I'm going to close with these two thoughts. Here's what the, the author of Anatomy of the, of, of the Soul said. We must understand the difference between knowing and being known. Knowing is an activity of the mind that keeps the knower separated from the facts. Being known requires an availability, a vulnerability, and trust of the person knowing you. It requires an understanding that there is no such thing as an isolated mind, and that life will only be full of joy, courage, kindness, and security to the extent that one is engaged, known, and understood by another, especially God. Here's the second. Today, if you're feeling a little anxiousness, a little worry, or in these last number of weeks or going forward, um, maybe you don't understand what you have and how you got it. You see, God, with his sound mind, created us in his image. 
put us here on this earth and breathed life into us, knowing full well with his sound mind that we would reject him and we would rebel against him. And in our own selfishness, think we could live life on our own, under our own standards. And because of that, we were all separated from God and sentenced to death and life separated, eternal life in separation from him. But because God in his love loved us so much, he gave us his only begotten son to die on a cross for our sins, to redeem us, to save us from death, to save us from eternal separation and give us eternal life with him. And by his power, the power of his resurrection, we will live forever with him. And we can have that power of the resurrection in our life right now. The power, love, and a sound mind from God. All that is what we have. And all that comes from, from how we got it, from Him. What we have came from God. How we got it comes from God. Figuring out this life isn't up to us anyway. Don't worry about it. Jonathan didn't. He saw God in the circumstances. And he made this good decisions. Let's do the same. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.